0: Hi there. A quick correction to this episode: we misstated the senator who Kirsten Cinema replaced in Arizona. She took over Jeff Flake's Senate seat in Arizona, not John McCain's. Okay, back to the show. On Monday, President Biden finally signed the bipartisan infrastructure bill. During a ceremony at the White House, members from both parties came up to the mic, including a senator whose name has been in the news a lot recently.
1: Please welcome Senator Kirsten Cinema.
0: Kirsten Cinema, a Democrat from Arizona. She was one of a handful of senators who created the blueprint for the bill.
2: Our legislation represents the substantive policy changes that some have said are no longer possible in today's Senate. How many times have we heard that bipartisanship isn't possible anymore or that important policy can only happen on a party line? Our legislation proves the opposite and the senators who negotiated this legislation show how to get things done.
0: This speech really surprised me because we don't hear from Cinema herself very often. And her take on this whole process, that it was this great bipartisan victory, it glossed over what some Democrats saw as her sacrificing key parts of their platform.
2: Delivering this legislation for the American people, this is what it looks like when elected leaders set aside differences, shut out the noise, and focus on delivering results on the issues that matter most to everyday Americans.
0: And yet, if you know who cinema is, this speech is not that surprising, because it really reflects how Kirsten Cinema sees herself and her increasingly important role in the Senate to Democrats and Republicans.:
2: I think we all know, and I think the House knows as well, that Manchin and/or Cinema are going to write the bill
0: today we're trying to understand what that role is what Kirsten Cinema wants and why she has been so frustrating to members of her own party From the newsroom of The Washington Post this is post reports I'm Martine Powers it's Wednesday November 17th. A few weeks ago, we did a story on the show about Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, the other moderate Democrat seen as holding up Biden's agenda. We talked about his motivations and this political line that he's towing as a Democrat in a very red state. But Senator Sinema has been
1: harder to read. What's been immensely frustrating to people is that even those who can understand why Joe Manchin is in the place that he is, they have a much harder time understanding Kirsten Cinema, particularly someone who sort of signals herself as a cosmopolitan sort of, you know, urban liberal sensibility isn't on board for some of these things that it would seem that, you know, her milieu would overwhelmingly support.
0: That's Mike DeBonis. He covers Congress for The Post, and he's been reporting on Kirsten Cinema and the role that she might play in blocking so many things that progressives care about, like voting rights reform and
1: raising the minimum wage. She is seen as basically single-handedly standing in the way of, you know, these huge agenda items that Democrats have been hoping to enact for a generation or longer. This backlash that has taken a variety of forms, like... On one hand, you had you know a group of Democratic state legislators wrote her a letter and basically said, "You are not doing what's best for the state of Arizona." You have people protesting at her offices in Arizona.
0: People are so angry at her that some activists have even ambushed her as she went into a bathroom.
2: We need solutions in the Build Back Better plan. We need has the solutions that we need
0: and she's been parodied on Saturday Night Live for her style and her refusal to talk to national press or even her colleagues.
2: What do I want from this bill? I'll never tell. Cuz I didn't come to Congress to make friends. And so far, mission
0: accomplished. So, tell me a little bit about Kirsten Cinema and who she was before she became a politician.
1: Kirsten Cinema came into politics as a Liberal anti war activist uh, during the, the George W. Bush administration and the Iraq War, through the sort of grassroots anti war activism that sprung up in the mid 2000s. You know, even beyond that, she was a Green Party supporter, publicly supported Ralph Nader for president in 2000. So, how did
0: she end up deciding to run for the Senate, and why was she successful?
1: you know, she gets elected to the Arizona State Assembly. She pretty quickly sort of sheds this image as a ideologically motivated activist, starts, you know, trying to develop uh, relationships across the aisle. For instance, she was involved in the effort to beat back a constitutional amendment in Arizona that would have basically barred any jurisdiction in Arizona from extending any rights outside of a traditional marriage, even to heterosexual couples. She identifies as bisexual. She was seen as a member of the LGBTQ community. She allied with Republicans and um, she worked to assemble a coalition that at least initially beat back this very aggressive constitutional amendment fight. I think that she kind of saw later in her career as the model to get things done across the aisle. And then she gets elected to the House of Representatives. And then going into 2018, there is a massive opportunity in the Senate. So in 2018, Arizona Republicans lose their two incumbent senators. John McCain passes away from cancer in August. Jeff Flake, who had become this uh, leading anti-Trump Republican voice retires when it becomes clear he can't win a primary, and it, it 2018 is clearly shaping up to be a very very good year for Democrats. And Kirsten Cinema sees this opportunity and quickly announces her campaign for for Jeff Flake's seat. Uh, she's facing Martha McSally, a, a relatively moderate Republican uh, congresswoman, and Cinema comes out and establishes a very textbook Democratic campaign in a swing state. Appeals to the center, talks about her independence, and says that she is going to put her state, Arizona, above her party. If we work together,
2: it's time to put our country ahead of party, ahead of politics. It's time to stop fighting and look for common ground.
1: She very much embraced the image and the reputation of John McCain as a someone who has been known for breaking with their party. And that's how she shaped her candidacy. And she, you know, she succeeded. — Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office upon which you're about to enter. So help hope you're done. — Thank you. — Congratulations.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how her reputation among Democrats started to evolve or when it became clear, at least to progressives, that Senator Cinema is going to be a problem?
1: Well, I think it really became clear um, after the election of Joe Biden last year. I think that once Joe Biden gets elected, and especially come you know early January, where Democrats win the two special elections in Georgia— it becomes clear that they're going to have a Senate majority, then things get interesting. Mm-hmm. And immediately they turn to the American Rescue Plan, President Biden's big stimulus bill. And one of the big issues that they were trying to get done in that bill was a minimum wage hike. And Kirsten Cinema and a few others basically sent the message that I'm not on board with this. Like, mm-hmm. I believe there should be a minimum wage hike, but $15 is not right for my state. And that's not what I'm signing up for. In the end, it ended up being moot because the parliamentarian uh, in the Senate basically said, well, you can't do this in this bill. But they had a test vote as a part of this. And not only does she vote no on the $15 minimum wage, she sort of does it in a way that captures a lot of attention. She sort of strolls on- onto the floor and sort of gives a stylized thumbs down with kind of this little curtsy, and it was sort of captured on Mm C-SPAN, there were just people who were extremely annoyed, for lack of a better term. It just not only how she wielded her power, but the way she did it. Mm -hmm. People saw it as an affront to working people who were fighting for a higher wage, and she sort of does it in this particular way that seems to... Seems kind of flippant, I imagine. Yeah, flipping glib, you know, use, use whatever word you want to use.
0: And, and I mean, in some ways, it sounds like a little bit of a callback too to John McCain, a Republican who gave that thumbs down when he uh, voted no
1: on repealing the Affordable Care Act. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's an interesting, you know, that she's sort of giving this this callback to a Republican on this item that is in some ways central to the Democratic Party. And I can imagine why her fellow Democrats would be like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In the end, she votes for the American Rescue Plan. She's there. She's with the party. But that sort of sent an early signal that keep an eye on Kirsten Sinema because she's not necessarily going to go along to get along when it comes to the rest of the Democratic agenda.
0: After the break, what cinema's trajectory says about the state of the Democratic Party. We'll be right back.
1: Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments— their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What
0: are some other moments over the first year of the Biden presidency where you've seen this kind of dynamic play out where Kirsten Cinema is like, look, I'm not just going to vote with Democrats because I'm a Democrat.
1: Well, after that, I mean, after the rescue plan passes, Biden turns to the bigger chunk of his agenda. What he really sees is his domestic legacy, what eventually will come to be known as the Build Back Better plan. And it's just not coming together. The Republicans aren't agreeing to enough money. Biden is kind of pushing for more and isn't getting it. And it's around this time where Kirsten Sinema kind of sees her moment Hmm. and... She has been sort of behind the scenes sketching out what she believes could be a blueprint for an infrastructure bill that, for the most part, accomplishes the goals of what Biden sets out. She thinks she can do it in a way that can attract Republican support. So when this sort of front-channel approach that Biden is engaging in seems to start falling apart... Here comes Kirsten Cinema with her back-channel approach. She had been in talks primarily with Rob Portman, Republican senator from Ohio, about a group of revenue sources that could be used to fund all these infrastructure needs that actually both Democrats and Republicans support. You know, roads and bridges, obviously, but also broadband, water infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But they worked. Biden bought into it. And they get this thing through the Senate. And it it sort of was done kind of beyond anyone's wildest expectations. And she delivers this big deal. But just as it's going to the floor, she sort of does a little skunk in the garden party move. And she puts out a statement saying, oh, by the way, Senate Democrats, I know that a couple of weeks ago, you said that this other bill, the domestic policy bill with all the other stuff in it, was going to be $3.5 trillion. Well, I'm just going to let you know now that I'm not up for $3.5 trillion. Hmm. I'm not going to tell you how much I'm willing to do, but it's not $3.5 trillion.
0: So what do you think that moment says about who she is as a politician, especially if she came into office with this, like, professed reputation of being a, like a dealmaker, the person who can figure out how to find common ground on both sides and put aside differences to get things done? I mean, the fact that that
1: was a moment that really alienated a lot of people. What do you think that says about her? She, I think, is very fully cognizant of the power that she has as a single senator in a 50-50 Senate to basically bend the rest of her party to her views. Mm. And, you know, most politicians want to be liked, and they especially want to be liked by their own party colleagues, and they want to be liked by the base of their party. Mm. And it's much easier to go through life that way. Kirsten Sinema seems to have a different way of looking at things, we'll we'll just say.
0: And I think that part of the frustration with her isn't just that she refuses to vote in lockstep with other Democrats or that she challenges some platforms of the Democratic Party, but that she seems to be not communicative in the ways that I think would be expected of someone who's trying to make a deal, right? That she says... I don't want to pay this much, but I won't tell you how much I am willing to pay for. Or I don't like this, but I won't tell you what would be the terms that would make me more amenable to voting for this.
1: Yeah. So if you ask Kirsten Cinema this, and trust me, we would if she would talk to reporters. She doesn't talk to us. She's done a couple interviews, meaning with hometown news outlets since all this process has started. But for the most part, she does not say anything publicly about what her negotiating stance is. Hmm her spokespeople and her colleagues have relayed to us that actually she has been clear about what she wants. She just tells President Biden directly. And to some degree, leader Chuck Schumer, some of her colleagues. So just because you don't know what I want doesn't mean the people who matter don't know what I want. Hmm. And that's sort of been her, what she's put out there. But the operative contrast that she is dealing with, of course, is Joe Manchin, the other moderate senator from West Virginia who is Mm -hmm. constantly talking to the press, constantly describing what he's thinking, what he wants. Sometimes he contradicts himself, sometimes he's changing, but he's always talking to somebody. Joe Manchin's political situation is a lot easier for most Democrats to sort of like get their arms around. Mm -hmm. He's in a state that Joe Biden lost by 20 points plus He's basically the last statewide Democrat in a state that's gone just completely to Republicans. He is a unicorn. And I think most of his colleagues give him a lot of latitude based on that. Hmm. Kirsten Sinema represents a state that Joe Biden won last year. She represents a state that's historically Republican, but it's always had a little bit of an independent streak. They've elected Democrats to the Senate in the recent past. It's not the same. Hmm. It's not just the economic agenda where she's been sort of at odds with the rest of the party. Uh, It's voting rights. It's civil rights, uh, which is another huge priority. She and Manchin are also together on the fact that they don't want to change the Senate rules to eliminate the filibuster, in particular to change voting laws uh, nationally. She's actually said a lot about this. She's written op-eds. She did an appearance on The View, with Megan McCain, John McCain's daughter, and basically explained that the way she sees it, changing the rules to pass voting rights is not a, a permanent solution.
2: A tool itself is neither negative or positive. It's how it's used. And I would want to make sure that we retain that tool so that in the future, if there were an attempt to get rid of things that are very important to me personally, like women's healthcare decisions, or protections for the LGBTQ community, or protections for clean water and clean air. Um, I would want to make sure we had that tool available to protect those things that are important to me and to my constituents.
0: As Democrats turn to other parts of President Biden's agenda going forward, Mike says that they're going to meet more complications from cinema. For one, Democrats want to fund that agenda in part by lowering prescription drug prices, which would mean billions of dollars in savings for Medicare and Medicaid. But cinema is sympathetic to the drug companies and their concerns that if they lower prices, it will hurt drug innovation.
1: Simultaneously, she has signaled during her House career that actually, as much as Democrats across the country run on making the rich and corporations pay their fair share, she sent signals that she's not necessarily up for that. In particular, when Republicans were in the House majority, they put up bills basically cutting taxes on various folks. Mm-hmm. She joined Republicans on some of these tax cut bills where there were only a a small handful of Democrats and a whole lot of Republicans voting for these. And that, if you were paying attention then, I think most people sort of may have ignored it or just kind of wrote it off as there goes Kirsten again, just trying to keep her independent maverick bona fides. Turns out that she really believes this stuff. And what we learned going into September, October is that... Another major financing mechanism for the the Democrats' domestic policy bill, which is raising tax rates on rich individuals and on corporations, she simply wasn't going to do it. She wasn't going to agree to that. And that, again, is hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue that were basically eliminated as a funding source based on her objections alone.
0: And I think both those examples bring up this question that so many people are asking, which is like, why is she a Democrat or is she even really a Democrat? If she's on the side of drug companies and lowering prescription drug prices or if she's anti, you know, increasing taxes for corporations, um, that those are pretty fundamentally at odds with the rest of her party. And so I guess I, I wonder for you, what do you think Senator Cinema reflects about our current political moment and about the Democratic Party right now?
1: She is, in a way, a mirror that sort of reflects the clear leftward trends in the Democratic Party. If this were 10, 15 years ago, she would not be out of place at all, you know, among Evan Bayh and Kent Conrad and, and you know, that sort of generation of Democratic senator that was fairly fiscally conservative, didn't like raising taxes, wasn't in for big government programs. The issue is the party of today is, is a lot different. Like Chuck Schumer used to be in that crowd. Now Chuck Schumer is talking about big and bold programs spending trillions and trillions of dollars. Even the the politicians that were around then have changed. She is still very much in that headspace where corporations are not the enemy. They are not to be looked at as a piggy bank to pay for all sorts of new government programs. They should be our partners in improving Americans' lives. I mean, the fact that there's so many senators who are willing to spend trillions and trillions of dollars on not only fiscal stimulus, but new programs and, quote unquote, building back better really reflects a shift in the party. It's just that Kirsten Cinema hasn't shifted along with that.
0: Mike DeBonis covers Congress for The Post. This story was produced by Sabi Robinson. It was edited by Rena Flores and Renita Jablonski. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Renny Svrnovsky. As the holiday season approaches, I've had a lot of questions about how to navigate social events at this stage in the pandemic. And our team is wondering, what questions do you have about gathering with family and friends this year? We're bringing back advice columnist Carolyn Hacks to answer any questions you've got about holiday etiquette. Send a voice memo with your name and question to postreports at washpost.com and we will try to get it answered. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.